scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Philippians, verse chapter 1, 9 through 11, and it reads, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve that what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, I'm very happy to be with you today, and I'm very grateful for your presence this morning. For those of you who are visiting with us, we're always very happy to... uh, have you, and uh, so very grateful for the singing of these beautiful songs today in our worship and the fine prayers. Thank you very much for the men who've waited on the table, for all who have participated and led us in our worship. We're very grateful for you and appreciate very much your service. I'm grateful for these men who have uh, uh, helped out while I've been away. I bring you greetings from the Beltline Congregation and Irving, Texas. I was there last Wednesday night, and uh, Max was our auditorium Bible class teacher. We're very grateful, Max. Thank you for filling in for us. And Phil, thank you for filling in. Nat, happy that our children are back with us today. We went on a very fine uh, trip, unity trip, and we're very grateful that they were there together and were safe in their comings and their goings. And God has just really blessed us in the wonderful work that we're trying to do for Him. And We're very grateful for each and every one, I truly am, that works in our behalf. There are a lot of things that we should treasure in life. The interesting thing about treasuring things, a lot of the things that we treasure really are not that important. And I find that some of the things that are so important, we forget to treasure them, and we give them no value whatsoever. And that's really a sad situation. When you think about the different things that we have, certain things are of more importance to us than the other. And that's the point that Paul is making, and I think it's something that we need to consider very carefully. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. He talks about, in the first chapter, Philippians, uh, the past... And then he starts talking about the future, and that's where our text begins, about verse 11. So that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. To approve what is excellent, to treasure and value the thing that is so important, is something that we need to consider very carefully. And so I began to think about these matters, and I started copying down... Uh, certain things that I think the Bible tells us we should treasure and value. And it was a sobering study for me as I began to look at these particular matters. I believe it would be a sobering study for you as we think about the things we should treasure. Again, I think there are a lot of things we treasure as being very important to us, not really important at all, very superficial and shallow. But then there are some things that we really should treasure and we take them for granted. And we don't value them like we really should. I want to study that with you today. One of the things that I treasure, and one of the things we all should treasure, 
and that is life itself. God has given us this wonderful life. In the book of James, James chapter 4, James talks about the fact that some people treasure material things to the exclusion of spiritual things. And they're more concerned about those physical things than they ought to be. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there, trade and make profit. Chapter 4, verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. And then he asks this sobering question. What is your life? For you are amidst that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Now verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Well, this point here in this question, a rhetorical question, a sobering question, what is your life? It appears for a little time and then it vanishes away. And really he talks to the matter of the brevity of it. We make our plans and we consider our future and and we think about doing this and we think about doing that. And he says in the text, the paragraph, he says you think about going to that city or that city to making a deal and making trade and that kind of thing. And really what we ought to be saying is, if it is the Lord's will, we will do this or we'll do that. He says, consider your life. It is a very brief thing. To him that knoweth to do good and does it not, it is sin. In other words, the person who leaves God out from the middle of his life and leaves God out of the planning process of his life, it is a sin. Because we ought to treasure life. It is very brief and it's very short. And we ought to be very thankful that God has given us the life that we have. 1 Chronicles 29 and 15. Life's like a shadow. What the Bible writer meant to say there was, it's here for a minute and then it's gone. Job would consider the matter of the brevity of life. Job 7 and 6. Swifter than a weaver's shuttle. Goes by that fast. He says it's faster than a runner. And quicker than an eagle after prey. Job chapter 9. Verse 25 and 26. Job 14 and 1. Life is of a few days, then it is gone. In Psalm 39 and 5, life is as a hand breadth. It's here for a moment, and then it is gone. I don't know that I'd have to have the Bible to teach me that. I know the Bible teaches that and clearly explains that, but I think by my own experience, I can see how fast and how brief Life really is, and we ought to treasure it. We ought to treasure it as a gift from God. Paul was saying to the church at uh, Philippi, learn to approve of the things that are excellent. Value, put proper value on certain things. And one of the things I should surely value is the life that I have. In Acts chapter 17, the apostle Paul was on his great missionary journey there, and he comes to the ancient city of Athens. As he comes to Athens, he comes to about verse 25, he stirred within him over the idolatry that he sees within the city. And there is a public forum there in the Areopagus, and so he goes to that place, and it's his turn to speak. 
And he tells them in Acts chapter 17, he said, I've been going to and fro in the city. I see you're very religious people. You have altars to this one and altars to that one. And I saw that you have an altar to the unknown God. And he's the one I want to talk to you about. And he begins in verse 25. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by hands or by man. Notice how he describes him. He is the God. He's not just another God among other equally valuable gods. He's the God. There's only one God, the God of heaven and earth. And now this idol that you've made, this altar to the unknown God, for fear you might have missed one in this rather large pantheon of gods that you've created. I want to tell you about that one, the one you've missed. He's the real God. And he works his way on down through this wonderful sermon, and he says in verse 25, Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breadth, and everything. It's made very clear by the Apostle that life comes from God. That life is a gift from God and that life is sacred. And it is always wrong for people to arbitrarily take life. Murder has always been a sin. It doesn't matter what dispensation we find ourselves in, whether it be Genesis chapter 9 or the New Testament, You cannot just arbitrarily take another's life. And you cannot arbitrarily take your own life and still be pleasing in the sight of God. We live in a world and a time when life is a pretty cheap commodity. The fact that people abort unborn life is a national disgrace. It is a gift from God. And it ought to be viewed as a sacred thing, a sacred essence. We ought to treasure life. To murder by suicide is going upon the premise, well, it's my life, I can do with it what I want to do, is a matter of sin and will not please God and will be judged by God. You and I ought to learn to treasure our life because our life is a brief life. And as the Bible writer tells us very clearly, it comes from God. And human life is a sacred thing. But when I thought about valuing and treasuring important things that God has given me, I had to include my time. Time is a sacred thing. And I should treasure my time. When you're young, you think you got all the time in the world. And you just don't ever think about the fact that time could be taken away. I remember as a younger fellow... Younger fellow in high school, first year or two in high school, an old friend of mine, Lon Spicer. I don't know that anybody was the friend of Lon except for me. Lon was killed in a terrible motorcycle accident. And it really struck me how brief life could be. 16-year-old boy killed in a motorcycle accident. When you're young like that, you never think about that. You never think about the value of life. As you get older, you begin to see how precious a gift life and time really is. We have blocks of time that we live. 
And once we use that block up on whatever we use it for, it's gone. And we cannot retrieve it. I was in a hospital waiting room visiting with some family members one time. Husband was very seriously ill. Doctor came out in that long white cloak, leaned over to Mildred. He said, Mildred, it's only a matter of time. And it wasn't too long after that George passed away. We have blocks of time, but they're brief. 1,440 minutes a day. 168 hours a week. 8,760 hours in a year. 657,000 hours in a lifetime if we live to be 75. The Bible is telling us this is something you should value. This is something that you should consider very carefully. It is precious. In Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul is in that section of the book whereby he's telling them how important it is for them to live the right kind of life. And he uses picturesque language. And these are the walk passages, as I've called them. And you find this one in Ephesians 5 and 15. Look carefully, then, how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Be careful how you live. And the word walk is used here, as it is in a number of passages in the Bible, a metaphor which is telling us how we should live, how we should act. We have only a certain amount of time. And to emphasize the point, he says in verse 16, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. I'm in Ephesians 5 and the verse of verse 16. If you have an older translation, you might see there the word redeem. Redeeming the time, because the days are evil. To redeem means to buy it from someone. To get it from someone by means of purchase. It's English Standard Version trying to help me out here. Making the best use of the time. And that's really what he had in mind. But more technically and specifically speaking, he's saying, now you buy the time. And you get this time. And you use this time wisely. Because you only have a certain amount of time. Redeem it. Buy up every opportunity that you can to use the time wisely. Then he adds this statement. Because the days are evil. Now the days were evil in Paul's day just as the days are evil in our day. And what does he mean that the days are evil? Buy up every opportunity to walk circumspectly to walk and live as a Christian should live, because the days are evil. The allurements and the temptations are strong out there. And it doesn't really matter what generation we live in. The allurements and the temptations to do the wrong things are out there ever before us. We've got to redeem the time. Buy it back away from the waste and the frivolous use of the time. Because the days are evil. It is filled with allurements and temptations. And if you're not careful, if you don't use your time wisely, if you don't treasure your time as you should, then you're going to waste this precious commodity that God has given to us. Treasure your time. Use it wisely. Because you only have so much. And you look back 
and all that time's gone. And that future, well, I don't even know if I'm going to have a future. Don't know if I have any more time. All I've got's right now. Make sure that you use the time wisely right now. Learn to treasure it. Learn to treasure life and learn to treasure time. Value the things that are important rather than the superficial, those things which have no value whatsoever. I want to talk about treasure your parents. The Bible tells us that we're to honor our father and our mother. You ought to learn to treasure them. It's found for us in the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, also Deuteronomy chapter 5. It's also found for us here in Ephesians chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. It's a wonderful commandment. To honor means to love them and to respect them, to have consideration for them. It's a promise that uh, is a general principle, that when you as a child treasure your mother and your father, you're going to benefit from them. When you as a child treasure your mother and your father, honor and respect them and provide for them as the need may arise, the community is going to benefit by that kind of consideration. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul is telling us to honor our parents and to treasure them and that we have a responsibility in this matter. In verse 3, Paul makes this statement. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. Children and grandchildren have a responsibility to their parents to honor them and care for them. The church has a responsibility to help those in need. But let children and grandchildren step up and step forward and realize their responsibility with regard to the parents. Learn to treasure them and value them. Because he made a statement there in the last portion of that verse I want to emphasize, and I think about it quite a bit. He says in that point, For this is pleasing in the sight of God. And what he means by that is, God knows what we're doing, and God's watching. This is pleasing in the sight of God because God knows how we live, what we do, and what we fail to do. But he's not finished. Verse 5. She who is truly a widow let all alone, has left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he is denied to faith and is worse than an unbeliever. We have a responsibility to treasure mother and father. I was preaching in California a number of years, and one of the um, aspects of that little town there the foothills of San Bernardino Mountains, beautiful little place where many of the different um, retirement homes and a number of uh, uh, facilities for the elderly. And I uh, went to the police station and I talked to the city uh, police chief. 
And I said, we're trying to help these people who are in need. And um, the police chief and I got along very well, and he was telling me, he said, I'm glad somebody's doing this, because you would not know how many parents are out there who've just been forgotten. And you talk about orphan children, and this is the terms that he used. There are a lot of orphan parents out there whose children have nothing to do with them whatsoever. Now, brethren, that's not biblical. That's not Bible. We have a responsibility to treasure our parents. We learn to treasure life. We learn to treasure time. Let us treasure our parents. I'll read another verse on the matter. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and the verse of verse 16. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Now the church has a responsibility to help the widow and the orphan, but yet children have a responsibility to their families, and so they should step up when the need arises. Learn to treasure your mother. Learn to treasure your father. These are the important things that Paul is saying. You remember the things that are excellent. These are the things you need to remember. And while I'm on this matter, I got to thinking about the family. You need to learn to treasure your family. From the standpoint of children, children should learn to treasure their families. And families, you should learn to treasure these children, how important these children really are. And it tells us in this instance about children and how that they are to honor their father and their mother. They are to show respect for the family. Now, I'm speaking to young people here today, as I always do, and we have such a fine group of young people, Christian people, some to be members of the church in time as they continue to grow in faith. Some are already members of the Lord's church. God bless you. We love you so much. But even now, you need to be thinking about your families. And you might think in your mind, well, he's talking about being a husband. He's talking about being a wife. That part of the sermon really doesn't apply to me. But I want to challenge you to think off into the future and envision the kind of man that you want for your husband and envision the kind of woman you want for your wife. And you think about that particular person of your choosing, that one of these days you're going to be choosing a husband. You're going to be choosing a wife. And you need to ask yourself the question, what kind of husband do I want? What kind of wife do I want? And think about it this way. Do I want that husband to be the father of my children? What kind of advantage will my children have because of that man as their father? And think about it this way. I want to think about that woman as the mother of my children. What kind of advantage or disadvantage will my children have with that kind of woman as their mother? You think about these particular matters. And you recognize how important and how valuable the family is. And how important these children are that we bring into this world. And the responsibility that we have to teach and to train and admonish them. And you think even though you're not married yet and you're just a young boy, you're just a young girl, still you're thinking off into the future. This is the kind of person that I'm looking forward to raising my children and to helping me with children and to provide for my children and for me. 
Oh, this is the kind of woman that I want as a helpmeet and a homemaker to help with these children and to create an atmosphere and an environment that will be a spiritual type of atmosphere so that these children will grow up, as Paul would say in Ephesians 6 and verse 1, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Ephesians 6 and the verses, verse 4. Now what he's talking about there is the total child. We have responsibility to the child as far as their body is concerned, as far as their mind is concerned, and as far as their spirit is concerned. Sometimes parents will raise all the money that they can get because the child might need some kind of medical procedure. They will sell their houses. They will sell their lands to get the money necessary to take care of the child physically. They will sell stocks. They will sell bonds. They will go borrow money in order to produce and provide the physical care and treatment that would help the physical life of that child. And that would be the right thing to do. But yet some of those parents would never even raise a finger with regard to the spiritual development and growth of the child. They will not help the child to grow spiritually. They leave that up to someone else. They do not provide for the important matters with regard to their children are concerned. Learn to treasure your children and to provide for them, to rear them and bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, not only physically speaking, but also spiritually speaking as well. Be regular in your Bible school attendance with your children. Be faithful in your attendance to worship service in the assembly of the church with your family. Study and explain the Word of God at home to your family and help them understand how important it is. Now notice in this particular passage, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, gave Himself for it. Wives should treasure their husbands. Husbands should treasure and love their wives. He's talking about the wonderful relationship that exists between Christ and the church. And he's trying to help us understand that by teaching us of the wonderful relationship that exists between the husband and the wife, or ought to exist. Love them. Learn to love each other. Be kind toward each other. Be courteous in the affairs of daily living to each other. Learn to treasure the spouse and develop and grow as a family, as God would have you to grow. Study how important your family is and how important it is to treasure one another as a family. I was talking about this matter in my mind, and I said, you know what? We need to learn to treasure the truth of God's Word. Treasure the truth. I think this is desperately needed today. 
Jesus did not come to make men religious. Men were already religious long before Jesus ever came. Jesus came to make men right religiously so that they could have a right relationship with God. If Jesus just came to make men religious, then his coming was for naught because they were already that way. But his coming was not to make them just religious. His coming was to make them right religiously, to have a right standing before God. There is only one reason that you should be a part of a religion. That one reason is because it is the truth. And there is no other reason that a person should be religious at all. But a person should be religious and a part of the truth because he loves the truth and cherishes the truth. On one occasion, Jesus is standing before Pilate and the cross is right off in the future, the immediate future. And there the Jewish Sanhedrin, led by the leaders, the high priest, as others have delivered him before Pilate, and they're making these accusations against him. One accusation they make against him is he claims to be a king. And of all the accusations that they were making about Jesus, that one was true. He was a king. And Pilate pulls him aside. He says, are you a king? Jesus said, thou sayest. In other words, he's saying, you've spoken the truth. You've said it yourself. But Jesus was making clear, I'm not a threat to Caesar or the Roman emperor or to you. Jesus is saying, I'm a king, the king of truth. Jesus would say in Luke 17, 20, and 21 that the kingdom of God is within you. Wherever and whenever people respect and obey the truth, they have the kingdom of God living in them. They are a part of the kingdom, the church which we understand to be the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Whenever anyone accepts the word of God, and accepts the teaching of Christ, the truth, and learns to treasure the truth, then that individual, by his obedience, is a part of the New Testament church, the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus made this point. He made it very clearly. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. When anyone hears and treasures that truth and obeys that truth, he's accepted by God, accepted by Christ. One must do this in order to be pleasing in the sight of God. Then he goes on into this paragraph. On that day, men will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Verse 23. And you wonder, well, why would he say that about them? Because of the things they asserted 
about themselves simply because they did not obey what the Lord told them to do. They didn't treasure the truth. They wanted to do things their way rather than God's way. God told us very clearly through the writing of Peter, 1 Peter 1 and 22, that our hearts have been purified by our obedience to the truth. People who treasure truth will obey it and apply it in their lives. People who just have a ho-hum attitude about truth will not obey it. They'll look upon it as a very interesting thing to consider. And yeah, I can see where there's some value to that. But the Bible is telling us to treasure it, to love it, to obey it. Sometimes it's described as the gospel. Sometimes it's described as the word. Sometimes it's described as the word of the Lord or the word of the kingdom. You know what happened one time? There was a man in Acts chapter 8. He'd been up to Jerusalem to worship. Isn't that interesting? He had to go up there to worship. As opposed to this idea, all life is worship. Why he had to go to a particular place and worship God, the city of Jerusalem, Acts chapter 8. And he's riding back in the chariot. And as he does, the Spirit of the Lord tells Philip, Now I want you to go to that chariot. There's a man there studying the Scripture. And Philip runs, and he comes up to the chariot. The Ethiopian invites him to come up into the chariot. And here he says, Now, do you understand what you're reading? He's reading the Scriptures. Had a scroll of Isaiah, Isaiah 53. He's reading Isaiah 53, 7 and 8. And he says, well, now, how can I unless somebody guide me? I have to admire him for that. Because he knew there was more than just reading the Scripture that's important. He knew there must be understanding that goes along with the reading. It's one thing to read. It's another thing to understand. But here we have a man who's learning to treasure the truth. And now we've got a case study of a person that's looking and finding and desiring, and he's beginning to apply this to his own life. And Philip starts at that very passage, and he begins to talk to him about the verse. And he says, now who is the man talking about here in Isaiah 53? And he started that very passage and began to speak to him about Jesus. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. See, he was innocent. And like a lamb before shears is silent, he didn't offer any protest. So he opened out his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. That means he was tried and convicted as a murderous felon. But really, he was innocent altogether. Who can describe his generation? Now, that phrase of that is very interesting to me. And I take that to mean from Isaiah and from Acts chapter 8 and 33, one great day there will be many, many who will come from what this man has done. Because of what Christ did on that cross, there will be many, many generations to come after him through their obedience to truth. For his life is taken away from the earth. He's going to be crucified. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom I ask you... Does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Euangelizo. It's a beautiful word. 
They translated that good news. He began to explain, to tell him, to proclaim to him the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And he started right at that verse, which leads us to understand Isaiah was prophesying about Jesus many generations before the event actually took place. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? This man's learned to treasure truth. He wants to apply it to himself. I want to be baptized. And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. They went down into the water and he baptized him. A depository of water was found along the way. And he said, now stop the chariot. And he stopped the chariot and he got out of the chariot. He says, what stops me from being baptized? He and Philip go down into the water and he was baptized. The word baptizo or bapto means to immerse. There's an interesting document which talks about a captain of a ship out at sea. And he's signaling a mayday signal. Kind of an SOS. And he says, Bapto, Bapto. And what he means by that is, I'm going under, I'm going under. And that was a word that meant to be immersed, to go under. Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. And Philip put him under the water and brought him back up. Notice what happens. When they came out of the water... The Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. That's the only time that you have Bible authority to rejoice, is after one has been immersed in water for the remission of sins. There's no Bible authority to rejoice before then. There's only Bible authority to rejoice after one has been baptized into Christ for the remission of sins. You learn to love the truth. You treasure it for what it is, the Word of God. You tell others about it, and you apply it to your life. And because of that, we become children of God and pleasing in the sight of God. Paul told the church at Philippi, learn to treasure the important things. Well, as you might surmise, I didn't have opportunity to talk every, say everything about this I'd like to. I want to talk tonight about the church. Learn to treasure the church. How important that is. I want to talk tonight about the Bible. You and I need to learn to treasure the Bible for what it really is. Tonight I'm going to talk about treasuring God and treasuring Christ. And I think we could take just one point here and make a whole sermon on the matter. And then I want to tell you something, brethren, and I hope you're with me tonight. Let's learn to treasure our soul. Jesus on one occasion said, What does it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Do we treasure our soul? Do we treasure truth enough to say, Yes, I'm going to repent of my sin. I'm going to confess my faith. I'm going to be baptized. I'm going to be immersed in water for the remission of sins and to be added to that treasure the Bible calls the church. Or if you've been unfaithful, then I urge you to repent of that matter today. And I pray you'll do it now. Won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.